And the second Bible reading is from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, from verse 1. And you'll find it in your beautiful booklets. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, from verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, Let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Sarah. Now, those of you who know me know that I love singing. I love biographies, I love Jesus, and you put those three together, it's a beautiful combination. I love it in church when you're singing truths about Jesus that remind you how glorious Jesus is. I stand amazed in his presence at Jesus of Nazarene and wonder how he can love me, a sinner condemned and clean. I love those bits of the Christian songs that talk about the last day when you see Jesus face to face. When with a ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see. It shall be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. How marvellous. We sang at morning church this morning, he shall return. He shall return in robes of white, the blazing sun. The Son of God will pierce the night. And I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. And you want to say, Amen, come Jesus, come. See, I think in churches we are very, very good at talking about the cross. And we're good at talking about the resurrection. We're not so good about talking about that great and glorious day when Jesus Christ will come again. With all the glorious saints who have died before us and he'll usher in a new kingdom. And we're not so good at talking about seeing Jesus face to face and spending eternity with him. But you know in the Bible that 23 of the 27 New Testament lessons talk about the return of Jesus. In the scriptures, in the Old Testament, the return of Christ is mentioned eight times more often than the first coming of Jesus. Over 300 references to the return of Jesus Christ 
in the New Testament alone. That true event when we will see Jesus in all his glory, that true event when he will return to earth to wrap up this world with all its horrors and all its tragedies and all its suffering and all its pain. He will say, it is no more end finished. New heaven, new earth, no suffering, no pain, no sadness, no sickness, no sin. And you say, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. I love singing about it. I love reading about it. One of my heroes is George Whitfield. He was the great evangelist. Great preacher, led thousands to Christ. Uh, one day he was asked this question, Mr. Whitfield, how would you spend your day if you knew Christ was coming back tonight? It's a great question. How would you spend your day if you knew Christ was coming back tonight? And I love George Whitfield's answer. He took out his diary. Looked at his diary and he said, at 8.30 a.m. I'm meeting with Mr. X to read the Bible. At 11 a.m. I'm preaching a sermon. At 3 p.m. I'm visiting the sick in hospital. At 4 p.m. I'm preaching in the open air field over there. That's how I'd spend my day if I knew Christ was coming back tonight. No change. I think that's extraordinary. It's a man who's saying he wouldn't change a thing because he's living every day as though today could be the day. He's living expectantly that today could be the day that Jesus Christ returns. He's living his whole life with that backdrop that, that one day Jesus Christ will come back and it could be today. Is that how you would answer that question? No change? If Christ was coming back at 11 p.m. tonight, what would you do? No change to how you spend your time. No change to how you, where, you, where you live your life. Tonight's sermon is all about the return of Jesus, what, what Paul calls the day of the Lord, the day when God will send his son back to earth to wrap up this world, to usher in the, the perfect world where there's no sin and, and suffering and sadness. And that future certain event, it should change the way that we live today. Since in most of our world are, are living on this quest for meaning, this search for purpose, who are we? Why are we here? What's life about? Where am I heading? And if you're sitting here tonight as a Christian man or a Christian woman, you know the answers to that, don't you? You know who you are. You know what life's about. You know where you're heading. See, the doctrine of creation, where, where God made this world, he created every man and every woman, it gives us purpose. We are made by God, to know God. We're his creatures living on his earth. That shapes us. And the doctrine of the incarnation, when, when Jesus stepped into the world 2,000 years ago as, as a little baby, God taking on flesh, God understanding what it means to be human, that shapes us. And the cross, where God sacrificed himself, he took the punishment on himself so that we are forgiven and reconciled. That shapes us. And the doctrine of the resurrection where the tomb is empty because death has been defeated and Jesus is, is alive. That shapes us. But what about the next event? When Jesus comes again. When Jesus ushers in this new heaven and new earth and we all have a rendezvous with Jesus. We all meet him face to face. How much does that shape you? 
I've been challenged this week because I think I'm good at shaping my life around the cross and the resurrection, but not the return of Jesus. Uh, we saw last week in 1 Thessalonians 4 that the, the return of Jesus is death-changing. It's death-changing because uh, we learned last week that we don't grieve when people die in Christ. Those who have died in Christ are with Jesus. And, and God will bring with Jesus those who have died in him. That, that's the hope that we have. If you ever lost somebody, if you're ever grieving somebody who's a Christian, you know where they are. They're with Jesus. Yeah, the return of Jesus is death-changing, but, but today, the return of Jesus is, is life-changing. That's our big point today. The return of Jesus is life-changing. It changes the way that we live now. I want to start by asking you a very simple question. Do you believe that Jesus will return? Do you really believe that Jesus will return? And we say in the creeds, I, I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus the Son who, who went to the cross and was suffered under Pontius Pilate and rose again. And I believe he will come to judge the quick and the dead. That simple fact that he will return is more important than all the details. Will there be a rapture? What will the trumpet sound like? What will the archangel look like? Who knows? But what we do know is that he will come again. There's two key words in verse 2 of our reading. Brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you. For you know very well, you believe this, don't you, that the day of the Lord will come. They're the two key words, will come. We're thinking a minute about how he'll come, but the fact that he will come. Certain. Inevitable. Just as Jesus said, himself, that he would return, he will come again. The problem is that the return of Jesus is, is either never mentioned or it's kind of obsessed about. So throughout history, so-called churches have had these stupid predictions about when Jesus Christ will come. Uh, Joseph Smith, of the, uh, the head of the Mormon church, predicted that Jesus would come in 1891. Of course, he didn't. The Jehovah's Witness uh, Church predicted that Jesus Christ would return on the 1st of October, 1914, and of course he didn't. Uh, a man called Herbert Armstrong predicted that Christ would return in 1935, and then 1943, and then 1967, and then 1972, and then 1975, and of course he didn't. And we laugh, but you know, sadly, thousands of people believed them sold their properties, gave up their jobs. And when Christ didn't return on that date, they're left disillusioned. Those are lies because no one knows when Jesus Christ will return. It's unpredictable. That's the point of verse 2, that you know he will come, but he'll come like a thief in the night. We don't know the time, we don't know the date, verse 1, but we know that he will come like a thief in the night. A great analogy Thieves are unpredictable. Thieves come suddenly. Thieves come when you least expect them. If thieves don't send you a text message saying, Dear Paul, I plan to visit 40 High Street in North Sydney on 
Thursday the 21st of April, about 3 p.m., and could you leave the back door open so that I don't have to break a window? They don't do that. They don't send you a calendar invite. I love the, the story, the true story of the couple in the UK who had their car stolen. You heard this story, they had the car stolen one morning. It reappeared two days later in their driveway. And in their car was an envelope with a letter saying, I'm really sorry for the inconvenience when we borrowed your car. Here are two theatre tickets as a way of apologising. And so the owners thought, oh, that's nice. And so they went to the theatre that night. And when they came home, their house had been burgled. You see, the thing about thieves is that they want to shock you. They want to take you by surprise. That's what it's saying here, that when Jesus comes, you least expect it. About times and dates, we don't know, but you know that he will come. We don't know when, but we know that he will come. Please don't listen to people who say they know when, because they don't. The Bible talks about various signs, times of wickedness and times of trial and people come into their faith in their droves and increasing earthquakes and wars and rumours of wars. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, but you don't know exactly when. It's unpredictable and it's inescapable. That's verse 3, while people are saying peace and safety. We're secure, we're safe, we've got it all. Destruction will come on them suddenly, verse 3, as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. I think that's a brilliant picture of our world. People saying, we are safe, we are secure, life is good. And when they're least expecting it, they'll be destroyed. The analogy he uses here is of labor pains on a pregnant woman. About it was 2007, I think it was, that I had a dinner party, members of this church. And there's eight people at a dinner party, and, and there's a very heavily pregnant woman around the table. Halfway through the dinner party, the, the wife went to her husband, we've got to go. And he ignored her. <laughs> kept on eating, kept on drinking, and she went, no, we've got to go. And the baby was born three hours later. So she went to labor during the dinner party. It's like, there's no escape this. The baby is coming. You cannot stop it. When you're in labor, you can't say, the time is inconvenient. I'd rather the baby was born in two weeks' time. You can't do that. And that's what Paul is saying here, that when Jesus returns, it will be unexpected and it will be inescapable. You have not got time to say, I wish I'd done this or I wish I'd done this. And his big point is this, be ready. Be ready and waiting. Be prepared. Live your life expecting it, waiting and looking and longing and praying. Come, Lord Jesus. And it struck me that most of our world is not ready. Most of our world today are not ready to meet Jesus. You can't be ready unless you've been reconciled to God. You can't be ready to meet Jesus unless you know him. And Paul divides all of humanity into these two groups. He says they are either in the darkness or in the light. They're either children of the night or children of the day. Do you see that in verse 4? But you, brothers and sisters, are, are not in darkness. You don't belong there. So this day should surprise you like a thief. 
You're not surprised when he comes because you're ready for him. You're waiting for him. Verse 5, you are all children of the light. I love that. He's not saying that you are in the light. He says you are of the light. That's your status. That's your identity. If you come to Jesus, you believed in Jesus, you've taken refuge in Jesus, you are children of light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night. See the two groups? So on that last day when Jesus returns, there will be a great divide. The shepherds separating the sheep from the goats. The fishermen separating the good fish from the bad. Jesus talks about children of light or children of darkness. And those in darkness are the ones saying peace and safety. The ones who are racing through life, enjoying the here and now, completely ignoring their maker. The other group, verse 4, we're in the light. We're confident of who we are in Christ. See that down in verse 9? God did not appoint us or choose us or elect us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation because the wrath has been taken on Jesus. The, the punishment has been paid by Jesus. On that last day, if we're children of the light, we, we don't suffer wrath or judgment or punishment. We receive forgiveness. We receive salvation and eternal life. And the challenge is, are, are, you, are you expecting that? Are you ready for that? Are you waiting for that? Here's the question. Would, would you resent it? Would you resent it if Jesus Christ came tonight? Oh, I've got that holiday booked. I'm going to spend my year overseas. I'm getting married next week. I've got my baby due. Of course we don't resent it because... This world is not what we're living for. This is just the overture. The perfect world is yet to come. He says just be ready and, and wait for it. Now, now, when I say wait, I don't mean wait lazily. I don't think you sit around and just sit there gazing and say, it could be today, it could be today. You get on working for Jesus, serving Jesus, living as a child of the light. Remember the, the story of the Italian mansion with those beautiful gardens. Remember that story? A tourist goes to this mansion in Italy and the gardens are just impeccable. And he meets the head gardener and he says to the head gardener, oh, your boss must love these gardens. They're beautiful. And the gardener says, oh, my boss lives overseas and he hasn't been back for 40 years. He's never seen them. He said, well, why do you work so hard keeping these gardens up for this boss who's never seen them? He said, oh, you, you, you keep the gardens as though your boss could come back tomorrow. And the gardener said this. He said, no, no, I, I keep the gardens as though the boss could come back today. I work hard because he could come back today. That's the whole point. We're living for Jesus today. We are making decisions and choices today as though he could come back today. He says, be ready for it. And then be alert or be awake or be self-controlled. Verse 6, so then let's not be like others who are asleep. But let's be awake and be sober or literally be alert and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. He says, because you're a child of the light, 
It changes the way that you live. You live alert. You live self-controlled. You live sober-minded. You think differently. You live differently. It's a bit confusing this because he actually changes the metaphor. Back in chapter 4, he used the metaphor for sleep for those who have died in Christ. Now he's using the metaphor sleep for those who are actually in the darkness. They're sleeping in the darkness, getting drunk in the darkness. He says, don't be asleep. Don't be found sleeping. You ever been found sleeping when you shouldn't have been asleep? Asleep in your desk at work. Asleep in a sermon. I mean, that, that's not really a big deal, is it? But sometimes, you know, if you're found sleeping at the wheel of your car, that could be catastrophic. That's what he's saying here. Don't be found sleeping when Jesus returns, because that will be catastrophic. He says, be awake, verse 7, verse 6 rather. Be alert. Have your mind switched on. Be sober. No, that's not talking about drunkenness. It's talking about having a, a right mind, thinking rightly, living life through this lens that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. Let's just think about that in the positive there's moments where you're tempted to gossip. Backdrop, he's coming back. I don't want that to be the first thing he sees. When you're tempted to get angry, he's coming back. Get rid of your anger. When you're tempted to be drunk, he's coming back. It's that lens of life that I want to be found Self-controlled. I want to be alert when Jesus comes back. I want to be seen as a child of light. And the beautiful truth of verse 8 is that you've got everything that you need. Uh, This translation is not great. Uh, Let me just read the literal translation. Verse 8. Since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Here it is. Having put on faith and love as a breastplate. And having put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. See the difference? He's not saying in order to be self-controlled, you need to do something by put on faith and love and put on your helmet of salvation. He's saying you've already got your helmet on. You've already got your breastplate on. The moment you believed in Jesus, you've got faith, you've got love, you've got hope. You are different. So just live differently. If you come to Christ, you are now different. So just put your armor, pick it up, use it, and be different. It was Lord Shaftesbury who said, I don't think in the last 40 years I've lived one conscious hour that was not influenced by the thought of our Lord's return. I couldn't say that. I really couldn't. But I want to encourage us here tonight to have the return of Jesus more on our radar. Verse 11, encourage you, build you up. Don't just think Christmas and Easter. Think the return of Jesus. Think last day. So I want to ask you, are you ready? Are you ready to meet Jesus? See, my guess is that tonight there are three groups of people in this building. They're what I call the conscientious Christians. 
people like George Whitfield who really have got their lives shaped by the return of Jesus. Everything about you, your, your, your wallet, your decisions, your choices, your diary, your direction, your identity is all about Jesus and you are ready and you're waiting and you're serving and you're longing. I'm saying, good on you. Good on you. Keep going. Keep going. But my guess is there's also a second group, what I call the, the comatose Christians. You know, someone in a coma, they're asleep. They're still, a, they're still alive, but they're just unconscious. And there'll be some Christians like that tonight. You're still alive spiritually. You still do believe in Jesus. But it's like you're in this coma. You're inactive. You're spiritually lethargic. You've lost consciousness of God in your daily life. I'm sure you're here on a Sunday at 7 p.m. But for the rest of the week... It's not just the return of Jesus that's not on your radar. Jesus is not on your radar at all. Maybe you got distracted along the way and it seems like you were once ready, but today you're just lethargic and you're just comatosed. That is you. Can I just lovingly say, please wake up. Please wake up. Because you're missing out. You're missing out on life as God intended. You're missing out on this daily, joyful life of living with Jesus as both your Savior and your Lord and waiting and longing for his return. It's the best way to live. Wake up. So if you're this conscientious Christian, good on you, keep going. If you're a comatose Christian, please wake up. But my guess is tonight in this room there'll be people who are not conscientious and you're not comatose because you're not a Christian at all. What I mean by that is that you've never really understood that, that Jesus lived and Jesus died and Jesus rose and Jesus will come again and you've never understood how much God loves you and you've never understood how much you can be forgiven and you've never understood the grace of God that he would lavish you with his love and call you his child and he'd say, you're my child of the light, you're my child of the day. You've never understood that. You've never understood that God has appointed you not to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation and forgiveness. If that is you tonight, can I, can I just plead with you? Can I plead with you that tonight is an, an amazing night to say, yes, I get it. Christ lived, Christ died, Christ rose again, Christ will return. Maybe you have been living your life saying, peace and safety, security, I've got it all. But actually, deep down, you know you haven't. Deep down, you know you're not secure. You're not at peace. And what Jesus offers is real peace and real security, not just in this life, but in the life to come. If that's you tonight, I just want to pray a prayer tonight and give you a chance to actually just believe in Jesus. I'm going to say this prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for all the ways I have ignored you. I believe you lived, you died for me, you rose again, and you will return. I want to live my life now as a child of the light, not of the darkness. Thank you that you love me. Thank you you forgive me. Help me to be ready for your return.
I'm going to pray that prayer. If you want to pray it silently in your own heart, please feel free to do that. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for all the ways I have ignored you. Jesus, I believe you lived. You died for me. You rose again. And one day you will return. I want to live my life as a child of the light, not of the darkness. Thank you that you love me and you forgive me. Help me to be ready for Jesus' return. Amen. So the extraordinary thing is that there will be people here tonight who have just moved from darkness to light. There will be people here tonight who are now children of the light and children of the day. And that's the most extraordinary thing, you know, that there's nothing you've done except just believe. If that is you, you've just started the most incredible journey of your life. I'd love to help you. I'll be at the back tonight. I would love to help you on your journey. But if you're here tonight and you already believe, then just wait for the day. If you're comatose, just wake up. Wake up, please. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are going to return and thank you that we'll see you face to face. Thank you that one day we're going to join with all the saints in glory and we're going to praise you for all eternity. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we, we long for that day when you return. Our, our world is messed up. Our world is this place where there's suffering and there's evil and there's pain and there's heartache and there's tragedy. And Lord, we pray, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Please come. Please usher in this perfect heaven, this perfect earth. And please take us to be with you for all eternity. Amen.